Well, good morning. We're going to start with a little, little game just to loosen you up. It's kind of like a memory expander game. I'm going to say a word, and then you say the first word that comes to your mind. You can say it out loud, or you can say it to the person next to you. So we're going to practice loosen up. Okay, ready? Here you go. Peanut butter and... Hey, that was pretty good. Good job. Okay, we're on a roll. Let's go. Ready? Batman and... Good. Think about this. Superman and... That's right. I was going to say girlfriend to give you a hint, so that's good. All right. Um, younger folks, this may be a stretch for you. Laurel and We went to the Laurel and Hardy Museum in South Carolina. It's in the middle of nowhere. I would absolutely go, only if you're close. Okay? So here's one. If you're uh, older folks, this may be a stretch for you. SpongeBob and Good job. Okay. Here's one that skates a little close to some history here. I wrote this before this happened. But uh, Prince Charles and Lady... Yep, good. Now you're getting quieter, so it makes me wonder if you're staying with me now. Okay, this one's easy. Salt and Starsky and I'm impressed. That's pretty good. Oil and okay, here we go. Now we're getting a little more difficult. Loosen up here. Ready? Superman and his arch nemesis. Lex Luthor. Good job. Somebody over there said that. John, good job. Okay, Broadway fans. I know you're out there. Hamilton and Burr, good job, whoever said that. Yes, I thought, I thought it was going to be y'all, good. Uh, Hatfield and Muhammad Ali and Joe, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Mmm. <laughs> Quick keeps telling me to say the bluegrass one. Okay, all right, here we go. Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Yeah, the first service didn't get that one, so... And then uh, there's this one. There's multiple options for this one, but we'll go with it. Darth Vader and... Yeah, that's good. You're my father. That's right. So, okay, now how about this one? This one is going to skate close. This one's a little edgier. This one may be a little more difficult. Faith and... Faith and doubt. Doubt and faith. Throughout history, those words have combined. Those words have been stuck together. Somehow in history, those words seem to be enemies. Is that really true? Think about your own life. Have you been in seasons of your life where doubt is crushing you? It's like a wet blanket. You're trying to figure out, God, are you there? And doubt is just like, ugh, on your life. Have you ever been in that place where you feel like doubt wreaked havoc and you never came out of it? What about this morning? Perhaps you're visiting with us, you're checking it out, you're seeing, is Christianity real? Is Christianity for you? Is Jesus real? Undoubtedly, doubt is part of your journey on that. Maybe doubt is whispering to you, you should go to Sweet Donkey instead of be here. It's a waste of your time. You should be at Al Daily Bread. You could be having a nice meal right now. Is that what doubt is saying to you? Just small in the back of your head. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, sobriety, I don't know if I can ever get over that. My marriage is going to a difficult spot. I don't think there's ever hope beyond the stuck that we're in. Is doubt playing this tape in your head over and over and over? Doubt can do that. It can be like a sucker punch. You're not looking and all of a sudden it just gets you right there. And you're like, ah, 
One minute you're believing, you're celebrating, you're trusting. The next minute you're saying, God, are you even there? Well, my encouragement to you is today, if that is where you are, there is hope in the midst of doubt. Are doubt and faith friends or are they enemies? Does a true true Christian wrestle with doubt? Does a true Christian navigate doubt? Does a true Christian ignore doubt? Can you be a follower of Jesus and have doubt? The good news is gospel. The good news is gospel. This morning we're going to look at Thomas and we're going to ask this question. Are doubt and faith enemies or friends? Are doubt and faith enemies or friends. Turn over with me to John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible or you've got your Bible app, pull it out. John chapter 20. And as you're pulling over there, um, give you some context. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus came back. So if you're one of those folks this morning, and we're glad you're here, if you're really exploring Christianity and you're saying, look, I have some core doubts about Jesus, let me encourage you. It is historically true. It really is. As solid as this thing, Jesus really did live. It's historically proven. Jesus really did die. It's absolutely historically accurate. And Jesus really did come back from the grave. It is true. You may not believe it. You may be exploring it. All of us have had doubts along the way, but those things are true. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, look, I'm at that core place. One, we're glad you're here. This is a place for you to explore Christianity. But I want to encourage you this. Doubt your doubts. In this journey of figuring out Jesus, in this journey of wrestling with your doubts, whatever your doubt is today, doubt your doubts. Ask yourself this, are my doubts shakier than what I'm trying to go into? Are my doubts more flimsy than what I'm actually doubting? Explore your doubts. Test them. My hunches, they're way shakier than what you're doubting. John chapter 20. Verse 1 through 10, Jesus comes back from the grave, historically proven. Comes back from the grave, Peter runs, the angels, all these kind of things. Really amazing events that happen. Verse 11, 11 through 18, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She goes down there, she's grieving, she goes to check it out, the angels are there. Jesus appears to her, verse 18. She goes back and says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he said to me these things. Here's what's interesting is, was Mary doubting? I don't think so. We can't tell, but I don't think so. She was definitely in a great place of grief and sadness. But Jesus met her in her grief. Store that in the back of your head. Jesus met Mary in her sadness. Then you go to 19. So this is the second appearance of Jesus, and he appears to the disciples. 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So what are they doing? They're hiding. They're afraid. 
The doors are locked. Jesus appears miraculously. It's interesting, they don't give a lot of commentary on that. If Jesus had appeared to me and the door was locked, I probably would have said, whoa, like, what's going on? No commentary on that, though. And look what he does, verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Just store that in the back of your head. Store that. What he does, he says, peace. He shows up, and then he says, hey, check me out. Check out my hands. Check out my side. Were they doubting? We don't know. Were they afraid? Absolutely. They were scared to death. That's why they were hiding. But Jesus meets them in their fear. Jesus goes and he finds them hiding in their fear. Now, Thomas, how many times have you heard the term doubting Thomas? A million times, right? I've said it a million times myself. Doubting Thomas. Well, you know, I'd rather be remembered as doubting Thomas than nothing Thomas. I would rather get off the bench and try it than sit on the bench and say I did nothing at all. Don't you want to be remembered for one that tried and reached out and explored than one that said I never gave it a second or third thought? Get off the bench today. Jump into the game. Raise your hand if you've ever had doubt in your spiritual journey. And if you're not raising your hand, you are lying like a rug. <laughs> Everybody experiences doubt. Doubt can be a great enemy of the faith. But God's kingdom replaces doubt. God's kingdom reframes doubt. God's kingdom takes what seems like a barrier and uses it in a very different way. When you look at the cross and the empty tomb, it reframes doubt. Well, how do we know that? Turn to Exodus 4. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is the story of Moses. Man, this guy had amazing faith right at the beginning of his journey. Just wait till we explore it. So open your Bible, Exodus chapter 3, or your Bible app. Here's the history. Israel has been enslaved for 400 years. They are crying out. God hears their cry. God picks this guy Moses to go in on this rescue mission. Chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this amazing faith that Moses has. Verse 10. God's saying to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Not a lot of faith there, is there? And then God continues, but I will be with you. And then verse 13 and on, they have this exchange and God says, here's my name. I am who I am. Then turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Moses in this amazing faith moment. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they shall say, The Lord did not appear to you. And then look at verse 10. But Moses said again to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. 
over and over and over, Moses is drowning in doubt. Doubting God, doubting his calling, doubting himself. Doubt is blanketing the whole situation. But what is the focal point of these moments for Moses? Is it Moses' doubt? Is it Moses himself? Or is the focal point God? In the midst of Moses' doubt, God embraces him. Remember that? God embraces Mary in the midst of her fear and grief. God in Jesus Christ, embraces the disciples in their fear and hiding. God meets Moses and he moves the mission forward. In God's kingdom, doubt and faith can coexist together. God can take our wimpy but honest doubt and make it powerful and use it for his plan and mission. God's powerful good news in Jesus Christ takes our doubt and transforms it for his mission. Listen. God has been dealing with people's doubt from the very beginning. You think your doubt is too big for God? You think your doubt is too serious? It's a roadblock for God? Think otherwise. God meets them right in their fear, in their pain, and in Moses' doubt. What about Peter? Turn over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, this great moment where Peter has this incredible faith just for a mere second. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 22. Here's the context. Jesus has been with the disciples. He's healing. He's doing these miracles, amazing teaching. Verse 22, he, he makes the disciples get in the boat and they're going across to the other side. Jesus walks out to them on the water and they see him and they're scared to death. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart as I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come on. So Peter got out on the water and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Amazing faith. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, according to the old equation here, if faith and doubt are enemies, Peter's in big trouble here. Big trouble. If faith and doubt are enemies, this should have been Jesus' response. Sorry, Peter. Sorry about your faith and your doubt. I hope you're a good swimmer. Or maybe this one. Sorry about your doubt. It's too much for me right now. I've got these other 11 I've got to take care of. Similar to Moses, similar to the disciples and Mary, Jesus grabs Peter in the midst of his doubt. 
Look at it. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him. Immediately reached out his hand. Doubt and faith, enemies or friends. In God's eyes, through the lens of the cross, doubt and faith can be friends. They can exist together. God in Jesus Christ embraces Peter in his fear and his doubt. And he draws him to himself. For those of you who are exploring Christianity, here's a couple things to chew on. Don't be ashamed of your doubt. Don't be ashamed that you have lots of questions and you're still figuring it out. We've all been there. We will be there again. You will be there again. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Look for Jesus. In the midst of your doubt and exploration, look for Jesus. Before you're even reaching out to him, he is already reaching out to you. Immediately, it says, he reached out for Peter's hand. Don't get stuck in your doubts. Don't get stuck in thinking your doubt is too big for God. If our doubt is a barrier to following Jesus Christ, none of us would be here this morning. Look for Jesus. His hand is reaching out to you right now. Right now. So let's go back to our passage. What's going on with Thomas here? Doubting Thomas, the, uh, the, the misnomer that's all throughout history. So go back to John chapter 20. Here's where we are. He appeared to Mary. Peter went in there and checked it out. There was nobody there. He appears to Mary. He appears to the disciples. Verse 24. Now Thomas, so this is the third appearance. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. First time, second time Jesus showed up with the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. Very important. 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And then Thomas laid down the gauntlet. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Boy, you talk about a wall. If there's ever a wall that God can't cross, ha ha, here's a good one. I will never believe unless I see it myself. Verse 26. Eight days later. That's a week. That's a long time. Have you ever sat in your doubt a long time? I know some of you have been sitting in your doubt for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Eight days he sat. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas was with them. John is focusing in right on the doubt. Why? Because Jesus could have gone to any of those folks. They were all hiding in fear. And Jesus specifically goes after the one, and John wants to make sure we see it. Look at it again. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Third time he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to who? He said, Write to Thomas. 
John is emphasizing that Jesus went right for the one that was doubting, right for the one that expressed incredible doubt. The doubt of Thomas is not too big, it's not too strong, it's not too stubborn-minded for Jesus. It's not too grandiose. It doesn't say, I will never believe. Jesus says, I'm going to engage you personally right in your unbelief. We see doubt as a roadblock. Jesus sees doubt as an opportunity. All the old sayings, doubt and fear, we can flush them down the toilet. Jesus, the faithful one, embraces the one who had the greatest doubt. Jesus goes right after his doubt. He answers his questions. Fascinating, isn't it? Remember before, I told you to place it in the back of your head. Short-term memory here. What does Jesus do when he sees the disciples? He shows them. What does Thomas say? Hey, unless I see this, it's never going to happen. And look what Jesus does. 27. Put your finger here. Exactly what he doubted. Jesus addressed it personally. There's no shaming. There's no joking. There's no saying, get your act together. He embraces his doubt with his very presence. Jesus embraces the fear and the doubt with his very self. So do you think, do we think that our doubts are too big to overcome? The cross and the empty tomb say, no way. Do you think our doubts repel God from finding us stuck, chained, smothered in our doubts? They don't. Look at Moses, look at Peter, look at Thomas. John Inezu has this great quote. He's mixing his quote with a quote from Leslie Newbegin. And this is what they say together. They say the distinguishing mark of Christian faith isn't the absence of doubt, but the object of trust. Our confidence comes not in the competence of our knowing, but in the faithfulness and reliability of the one who is known. Let me read it again. The distinguishing mark of Christian faith isn't the absence of doubt, but the object of of trust. It's not the doubt here, it's the object of the trust we're looking for. Our confidence comes not in the competence of our knowing, but in the faithfulness and the reliability of the one who is known, Jesus Christ. This is what it says. Their doubt is not overcome by great faith. Our doubt is not minimized by positive thinking. Our doubt is overcome because of the one we're doubting. It's the one who was the overcomer is the one that allows us to trust and believe. It's the faithful one, Jesus Christ, who embraces us in our doubt and draws us to himself. Because Jesus hung on the cross, he crucified your doubt. He crucified your fear. He crucified your shame. Our object of doubt is stronger than our doubt itself. 
The one we are doubting is stronger than the doubt that we're harboring. The one who is calling is stronger than the ones who are being called. Keller says it this way. He says, if Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, why would he abandon you in your darkness? Why would he abandon you in your great doubt if he didn't abandon you in his greatest hour? So look what happens. Go back to the passage. Put your hand here. Touch my side. Thomas answered him. He could have and really should have answered with, oh, I believe you. I trust you. He answered with worship. He said, my Lord and my God. And then verses 30 through 31 is kind of the wrap-up of John. And listen to what he says. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. Friends, Jesus is here this morning. And there is a lot of doubt in this room. And there's an opportunity right now to let Jesus meet you in your doubt and in my doubt. And so I want to invite you this morning. If you have a place of doubt in your life, if you're here and you're exploring and you're not sure about Christianity, your doubt is real, this is an opportunity for you to say, this is where I'm doubting. If you're here this morning and you're in shame and fear and you're doubting and you're a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you as well. We're going to stand up. I'm asking and God is inviting you to stand up and say, this is where I have doubt. Stand up, friends. I'm jumping up. I have a lot of doubt, and I am jumping up, and I know you do as well. Stand up in your doubt and say this, Jesus, meet me in my doubt, and he will meet you. He's meeting you right now. He is greater than your fear. He is stronger than your doubt. And he's here right now. Let's pray. Sometimes I have open hands when I'm praying, symbolizing that I got to let go of this stuff. Put your hands out. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you are here. We are grateful that you are stronger than our doubt. We're grateful that you embrace us in our fear and our doubt and our pain and our shame. You crucified us. And so this morning, we tell you, here is our doubt. I encourage you, just in the next 10 seconds, the quietness of your heart, tell Jesus where your doubt is and what it is. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're real. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you hear us. And so now, Lord, we turn our hands upside down and we drop those doubts into your great hands. The hands that parted the Red Sea, the hands that were nailed on the cross, the hands that reached out to an afraid and doubting Thomas and embraced him and said, come with me. Lord Jesus, take our doubt and move us with you. In your name, amen.